Hey everybody, it's Jeff. Welcome back to episode two of Batman in Quarantine, the one where we talk about Batman 655. This is the actual first issue in the uh, Morrison Batman run. Last episode, Justin joined me to talk about the two prequel issues, kind of, that took place within 52, the weekly series that Morrison helped co-write, that filled in the intervening year between Infinite Crisis's end and the year off that the, the Trinity, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman took. So we're back in Gotham. Uh, 52 is finished at this point within the story. And the way that I'd like to just start this is by running through this issue. Um, But first, let's get a little bit of credit, a little bit of context. This issue is written by Grant Morrison, of course. The art in this one is done by Andy Kubert. He's listed as the inker as well. And then for our colorist, we've got the, uh, the always incredible Dave Stewart. Um, and in this issue, boy, things things happen. It, start, it starts off. But uh, this issue came out in July of 2006, July 26th. And on that Wednesday, just to give you an idea of what else was coming into the comic shops, if you had gone to the store to pick up this issue, uh, Green Lantern number 14. So 14 issues into Jeff Johns's highly acclaimed Green Lantern run. So we were just just in the early stages of that. Um, Marvel was deep in Civil War, so there's just a whole slew of Civil War tie-ins that came out. Uh, Mike Carey's X-Men run was coming out, and then Daredevil number 87 had come out, which was written by Ed Brubaker. So Bendis' Daredevil run had finished, Civil War was going on, there was some follow-up stuff from Infinite Crisis at DC, Um, but this really, this was DC's main book that they pushed that week. It, which makes sense because it's one of the high-profile writers on the highest-profile character that they have. So they went a little bit slim putting it out there. I think that that is an interesting moment in time. They had just finished a big DC event, and now you, you could tell that like a lot of the creative forces were being put into establishing really solid runs for each character. Uh, Kurt Busick was in the middle of an action comics run. Um, just like high, high profile creators. I imagine DC was also probably pretty stressed out at this time because Marvel Civil War had come out. And when Marvel Civil War came out by Mark Miller and Steve McNiven, it really was the first huge crossover event that that comics had seen. It really like moved the needle in a drastic way, um, got a lot of people back in stores and then collecting tie-ins. And to this day, Civil War is sort of the, the prototype or blueprint for how common companies choose to do events. So, you know, you can you can bet that DC was feeling a little shaken in their boots, like, okay, we gotta do some big good stuff, which brings us to Morrison on Batman. So, this issue starts off, uh, Interestingly, I'll go just a quick, quick, broad overview. Um, we are with Batman, who is fighting the Joker, who is in the midst of a battle with who he thinks is Batman, but we know it's not Batman because this Batman pulls out a gun and then shoots Joker in the face right as our Batman shows up. And then B- Batman uh, takes the old Joker, tosses him away in the old garbage and then goes to visit Jim Gordon in the hospital who has been infected with Joker serum toxin, and he's just laughing like a lunatic. After that, we uh, are hanging out with Bruce in the cave. We have a conversation with Alfred. We see 
Tim Drake as Robin, who is going to be leaving town. And then both of them, Alfred and Tim, are able to convince Bruce that he should go on a much needed vacation. So he decides to go to the uh, uh, a benefit for Africa. Uh, what is the name of the benefit? Um, Action for Africa, and it's in London. So Bruce heads out overseas to London, hangs out in this hotel, runs into Kirk Langstrom, who we all know is Man Bat. Matt Matt is very stressed out for some reason. We don't for sure know. And uh, and then at the end, we're getting a, a big cliffhanger, and we see Talia al Ghul, who we all know from Batman's past, hanging out with a young boy in the shadows who refers to Batman as his father. And they uh, in, in the final cliffhanger shot, we see a whole bunch of man bats uh, look like ninjas hanging from the ceiling. And that's our cliffhanger for the issue. So that's the broad strokes of what happened there. But I think um, each one of those scenes has some pretty important stuff in it, and I wanna I wanna walk us through those right now. So at the beginning, we've got we open on Gordon falling into an alleyway, laughing hysterically, and then we cut to a gorgeous double page spread of the Joker holding a bloody crowbar and a just brutally abused Batman in his arms and he says I did it I finally killed Batman in front of a bunch of vulnerable disabled kids whoa whoa Joker what uh where where was that like I get that you want to take down Batman but why in front of a bunch of vulnerable disabled kids what is that but it really does uh, visually harken back to like some very classic Batman stuff because we've got Joker's uh, helicopter with a giant Joker face on it holding these children uh, th- that's something I really like about Grant Morrison is he he endeavors to include a lot of the zany 60s, 70s uh, parts of continuity in his runs. So, you know, you got like bat copters and joker copters and crowbars. This is like a classic looking joker, like yellow suit, big green tie, uh, purple suit, yellow shirt underneath it. But it's, uh, it's very interesting to have just dropped us into the middle of this sequence in what should be, um, if it's the first issue of a huge run in comics, I guess I would maybe think there'd be a little bit more exposition, but what Morrison chooses to do here is just throw us right into the action. Kind of a classic Morrison thing. But as we see the Joker, like... D- on the verge of celebrating and he says like I love messing with your head Batman have you ever taken an acid trip hydrochloric that is and he's about to spray acid in this fake Batman's face and then he pulls out the gun and then we get a full page shot of Batman diving sort of up a building while the fake Batman is shooting a bullet at the Joker but we're the camera us the readers behind Joker so we really just see a blam sound and a ricocheting effect off Joker's face what I remember about reading this the first time was just like a deep sense of confusion and this was before I had really gotten super invested and in love with Morrison and didn't necessarily know who he was I do think that I had to read this comic digitally because I couldn't find a physical copy anywhere at the time. And it, gosh, I had, I had, I remember having mixed feelings about it. And as the run goes on, this type of confusion in storytelling, it continues. 
but in general, I try to give Morrison the benefit of the doubt and just kind of accept whatever confusion I have. But if you're not initiated in him, and if you're not someone who has total faith in his grand design, I think that it would have been really easy to be frustrated, even in just this opening scene. Uh, after Batman takes over for the wounded Batman with the gun, he picks up the Joker, who seems to have a bullet wound to the head, takes him over to the police officers, and they say, no, he's still alive. And then Batman throws the Joker into a dumpster, which, you know, classic Batman humor, I guess. One thing worth mentioning throughout this whole sequence is that Andy Kubert, his art for his portrayal of Gotham, it's almost, I'm not sure if anyone has ever uh, played the video game Bloodborne, but there's this incredibly gothic red sky rainwashed streets feeling to everything it has like a really nightmarish apocalyptic feeling i guess that makes some sense within dc continuity every time they have a crisis like final crisis or crisis on infinite earths um the skies will go red and like red rain or blood will fall from the skies so you know kind of like evil dead but there's a really strong sense of that happening throughout uh, this portion of the issue. We also, if you, it's something that you would definitely gloss over if you had not read Morrison or don't know the later parts of this run, but all over the streets, there is graffiti that says Zur N R, uh, Z-U-R-E-N-A-R-R-H. It's the kind of thing that I didn't realize at all when I was going through this run at first, and then something happens later on that makes you draw attention to it. But for right now, what we can say is there is a large mystery introduced, which is why is Zur and R repeated in graffiti all over the city? That's just something I love about Grant Morrison, is he... There, there's so many, even like Justin and I were saying in the last episode, there's so many seeds to what ultimately happens in the early stages of this, even when it seems like the direction and ultimate plot of it couldn't have been absolutely designed, if that makes sense. That brings us to the next part of this issue, which is just two pages. And I think that, in my mind, it's the most problematic part of this issue. And it is the scene where Batman shows up in the hospital room of Jim Gordon, who is still healing from the Joker toxin. So he's still laughing, still making jokes that are totally out of character for, for Gordon. And on the second page, Batman shows up. And the main bit of information that we get in this sequence that is very important, but is easy to gloss over, is that um, Jim Gordon says that there was another guy in a Batman suit. We learn a little bit about who that other Batman was in the, in, earlier in the issue. And it was an ex-cop who seems like he snapped and took it on himself to clean up the city. That is something that comes into play a little bit later on, within the next couple of issues, but it's something that is so glossed over and only in one little bit of text that it's really easy to ignore it. And in that opening scene of there being two Batmans, that's a really jarring image that feels to me like it needs more justification or explanation. And it didn't really give it to you. It's just like, oh, there's another Batman here that confused Joker and then our Batman showed up and kind of cleaned up the scene. And then the other big thing that we get in this conversation is that Gordon mentions that Batman has been on this big crime blitz, and it seems to have worked um, 
With the exception of Two-Face and two minor nut jobs, the Joker was the last of all of the super criminals that Batman has taken down. Seems like Gotham is clean. And we get that reinforced in our next scene where it is Bruce and Alfred hanging out in the Batcave after Batman's night of crime fighting. And when Tim Drake Robin shows up, he says, don't even ask, it's dead out there. We finally took all the criminals out, like there's just nothing to do. And I think that's a really interesting thing to just kind of put in the story because uh, as we talked about on the last episode, Batman went to Nanda Parbat and he underwent the, the Torgal uh, trial. And he seems to have just been massively reinvigorated with a new sense of purpose and determination and ability. So he goes out and he's just taken all the criminals down. Pretty big thing to happen off camera. But uh, that's another instance of, okay, I'll just take that, I guess. Alfred brings up a really interesting point in here. And I like it because it kind of, this came out in 2007. So 2006, 2007, I already said it, but I forget what the date was. But um, so we had seen Batman Begins come out and we were right around the time for Dark Knight. Maybe Dark Knight had, was almost about to come out. But Christian Bale really famously made the Batman voice a thing that made sense, right? Like Bruce Wayne had a normal voice, but he adopts this fake voice when he's Batman. It's a thing that in the movie, I don't know, works super well. It, maybe I just have a hard time believing Christian Bale. But in this issue, Alfred brings up like, hey, um, if you don't mind me saying, sir, the growl in your voice, the one that you used to use to you know, be Batman or practice using before you went out to be Batman, he says, you're doing it all the time, sir. And that's a really interesting thing to throw in here. It, it sort of shows that Bruce is in the midst of, of maybe losing himself in his Batman identity. And as Tim is there and as Alfred is there, they bring up the um, Benefit for Africa in London event. And they both insist that Bruce go to it. Tim even says, last time you went on a vacation, you came back with so much energy, you put an end to super crime in Gotham. That's them referencing going to Nanda Parbat and, and coming back. So it's referencing again the fact that crime is just cleaned up in Gotham, so Batman is able to leave. There's a, an interesting moment after that, after Tim leaves, where Bruce kind of mentions, um, maybe I do need to get out of here. I'm really proud of Tim. I think Morrison does a good job of that, like putting humanity into Bruce. Uh, He's a, he's a father figure, a parent role to a lot of these younger boys, and I like a strong father figure, and I, I want Bruce and Batman to be a character that um, has a degree of morality that I respect, and I think that they do a good job of putting that in here. Another part of this issue now that I think is not excellently done is we just get a one-page shot of a woman tied up and another woman in shadows, and she's making some threats and she's gonna inject her with a toxin, and we don't really get much of an explanation for that. And then we cut to Bruce in London at the hotel where the uh, Action for Africa benefit is going on, and Kirk Langstrom runs through, and he's like super confused, in a hurry. Bruce is like, oh man, like what's going on, Kirk? And later comic series, uh, like James Tinney and the Fourth's Detective Comics run from Rebirth, that we've been reading for the last couple of years, ended ended a year or so, two, two years ago, but uh, Man Bat was a big part of that. 
I think at some point Man Bat knows that Bruce is Batman, but at this point he doesn't, and there's no indication that they have any connection. But Bruce, you know, says like, "Oh, I, I, I want to talk to you later at this event," and Kirk Langstrom takes off. And then Bruce says to Alfred poignantly, "Well, there goes my vacation," indicating that he knows something's up. And then we get a scene where Alfred is dressing Bruce for the Action for Africa benefit. And he reminds him, like, hey, don't be using your spooky voice. You don't need to use that. It's so gravelly. And then he, in, a, in an interesting scene, um, as he's tying Bruce's tie, he's like, when was the last time you actually relished your status as a famous international playboy? And it's just this interesting scene of Alfred being like, maybe you should go be a playboy. And uh, that's just an interesting dynamic for Batman, like, it makes you know so much sense. Bruce has this disguise; he needs to be a rich playboy. But um, the idea that maybe that lifestyle choice needs to have some extra care taken for it, but also that engaging in that life is good for you, Bruce. And uh, if that's how you want to interpret it, but it's it's interesting. It's like uh, your uncle trying to talk you into going out and meet uh, women. So then we go to the Action for Africa event, and it's in this large room with all these like pop art paintings, like Andy Warhol art. Um, actually, it's not Andy Warhol, but uh, I will find out who that artist is for the next episode because I know that there's even more instances of that art showing up in it. But uh, as Bruce is walking around this Action for Africa event, there uh, are some security cameras set up and we go to another room where there is that woman and a small boy looking through it. And she says to the small boy, look at them, study their postures, their mannerisms, and tell me which one of them is your father. And the young boy is able to look at this room filled with people and identify by posture, says, that's my father. And what are we going to do now, mama? And he sa she says, now we say hello. And that's the shot of all the man bat ninjas. A lot of groundwork being laid and we know, as Justin and I said from the previous episode, huge fans of this run. I do think it is not incredibly new reader friendly. And I don't know if that is Morrison or Kubert or the combination of the two of them. It's worth mentioning I'm not a huge fan of Andy Kubert's art. I much prefer his brother Adam's art, who generally does more Marvel stuff. And then Andy's usually pretty locked into DC things. But I think there's a lot of kind of confusing scenes in this issue. And it's probably the fault of both Morrison and Kubert. I think they were sort of dropped into scenes that could have had more explanation around them. And I'm I'm very for experimenting with that sort of stuff. But I think it was a little needlessly confusing, especially the, the two Batman parts. And then Kubert, he doesn't always fill in his backgrounds. What is interesting is I was reading um, reviews for this issue uh, that were posted within the two weeks of this issue coming out. And more often than not, people were kind of cold on Morrison's writing, but very hot on the, the Kubert art. I would say I fall in the opposing camp. But even in this issue, I don't think that Morrison's writing is quite um accessible and on the forefront as it gets in other things like i i think he's kind of doing a herculean effort in uh 
and trying to start this run. And I, I totally sympathize with that because even starting this podcast, you know, it's sort of like, where do you begin and where do you need to put information and how much exposition needs to be where? So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting start to this run. And I don't think that the cliffhanger is incredibly compelling. I'm not very interested in the man-bat character. It's just just giant bats, you know? And we've got a Batman who should be able to take them all out. All in all, I would say that this is a pretty good issue in the context of the run. And I think that as more answers come, this issue gets better. I think it would be really beneficial to reread it after the first arc is finished but in terms of just a first issue dropping in i do think it's got some hiccups and some problems in it maybe maybe a lot of that just being that like i'm not hugely in love with andy Kubert's art and there are some stylistic changes that happen in this in the scene where bruce and alfred are talking about him needing to be a playboy his art almost looks a little bit like Brian Bolland mixed with Howard Chaikin. Brian Bolland did The Killing Joke. Howard Chaikin did all sorts of stuff, American Flag, but um, very stylistic, uh, thin line work, uh, Michael Turner-esque, actually. But anyway, it's um, there's some cool stuff in here. The Batmobile is hidden. The whole thing is called Building a Better Batmobile. The, the issue is, and we don't get to see what is happening there, but it, it sort of feeds into the the metaphor that Batman is kind of reinventing himself and reinventing his his stance on crime and how he's going to take it all down. And for that, I like it. Again, uh, I'll say this often, but I do think that the reach of this issue extended its grasp a little bit, but I I would rather a thing do that than uh, not try to at all and be kind of rote or cliche favorite things in here i love the red gothic atmosphere that he is putting in for gotham and uh yeah i I really like the bits of humanity that we get between bruce and tim not dick uh who i can't wait to see but yeah i do remember when this came out that it felt a little bit slow at the beginning and i i that was reinforced here i'm excited to get through this part and into the meat of it and uh yeah i appreciate you all joining me here for issue 655 episode 2 and uh, i hope to see and talk to you all very soon and for our next episode hopefully we'll have uh, another one of the bat family joining me if not it'll be just me and we're gonna get through this thing thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on batman in quarantine